welcome along to episode 148 of the Jersey Net Weekly podcast, a totally free and independent Rangers podcast that is made by fans for fans, where all of our content is always absolutely free. And as we say every week, it's not just the podcast that we have here at Jersey Net, but if you head over to our website at www.jerseynet.co.uk, you can find a whole host of great content, including the forum, uh, lots of articles, the social media, uh, and a very, very informative history archive as well. If you're joining us live on the podcast tonight, it's just gone 9.30 p.m., on Sunday, the 5th of September, then thank you very, very much for giving up your Sunday evening to join us. Please do let us know your questions, your comments as we go along in the YouTube stream there. We've got Frankie moderating that and I'm sure he will get to as many questions as he possibly can. If not, the show is always available for download the following day. Uh, so that'll be from Monday morning and that's wherever you get your podcasts from, including Acast, iTunes, YouTube, CastBox, Stitcher and also on Spotify. Um, it's It's been quite a, a strange week and I, was, I must admit when the schedule for the, the podcast was, was posted you never like to see your name against an international week because you think you can sometimes be sort of scrabbling for content and material, but certainly not been the case uh, this week. And there's, there's plenty for us to get through um, both on field and off field, and we'll, we'll get to as much of that as we possibly can. So I'm delighted to have two stellar guests to, to join me. First of all, um, even though it is an international week, we, we still can't shake him. Alec Anderson. Alec, good evening. How are you? Not bad. Uh, not bad, uh, Ross. Actually, that's, that, that's, that's a lie. Um, just to apologise for any coughing or splitting that might be coming up. I feel absolutely terrible. Um, the worst thing about it is I've had the test and I don't have COVID. So these days I get zero sympathy, even less sympathy than I used to get in this house. Um, I also managed to catch a sore ankle. You know, a, a fat man, fat old man wearing young man's young man's trainers. I twisted my ankle, surprisingly enough, just as it was uh, safe to go back to the ground. So I've been limping to Ibrox and back. Um, and then put my feet up in ice uh, for the rest of the time. But I still managed to get to the Scotland game last night. Uh, and if you're trying to get any kind of content out of that, um, you're, you're, you're struggling. You know, <laughs> not like myself. Enjoyable to see Nathan Patterson contributing very, to that home. Very, and that's the end of that. Uh, fair enough. And I was going to say that with you sort of not feeling maybe a wee bit under the weather and a sore ankle, would you say that you're the Rangers fan who's had the toughest week? I would definitely say so. I don't really. I've looked around and I don't really see anybody else that's uh, that's been through what I've been through. Yeah. You know, no. But uh, I don't like going to because I'm just you know I'm not that kind of guy. Ah, good for you. Good for you. Soldiering on. Uh, also with us and bringing a touch of professionalism and class to the show, uh, Stuart Weir. Stuart, how are you? He says looking around for the professionalism uh, and touch of class uh, desperately. Um, I, for, a, for a minute there, when I was going on to the YouTube channel just to see what was happening there, I thought that Alex was participating in a, a, an episode of Casualty. Um, my, I, was, I, was ready to, I was ready to don the, 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 the old fiddle there and, and play along to whatever he was saying. So anyway... As long as you stay out of a nurse's uniform, I think we'll, we'll be okay. Only a Thursday every second month. Fantastic. Right. Um, as I say, gents, it's been a slightly a slightly strange week. Um, and I, you tend to find that strange weeks off the park do do often follow Rangers winning in an old firm. And um, I have to say, I've not, in terms of the, the, the stuff that's been going through the media this week, um, and in the last couple of days in particular, uh, which you know, obviously we'll come on to address, it's been a really um, interesting, disappointing, disheartening week to, to be a Rangers fan and like us to be involved in kind of Rangers fan content and fan media. Um, and really the, us going up against, I say us, as in the, the, the kind of Rangers fan base, the Rangers family going up against traditional print media um, in the way that, that, that has happened over the last few days. So, Alec, we go back to, to, to last Sunday, Rangers get... Um, 
a very important, a very hard-fought and, and well-deserved 1-0 victory over Celtic at Ibrox, um, first all-firm game of the season. Since then, um, we've had videos emerging of alleged um, sectarian set songs being sung, plenty of reports of anti-Catholic, anti-Irish bigotry. Um, par for the course, I think it's probably fair to say, following an old-firm victory for Rangers, that this kind of thing would be dominating newspapers because... But potentially, the, the you know people are trying to make up for the fact that their team lost. We've had three arrests. We've had promise of more arrests. We've had a, a real media pile on, and and the last few days we've had you know very prominent fan media contributors called out in the national uh, national media to the extent that they've had to take a step back from producing the Rangers content that they do. Um, first question for you, Alec, is: Do you think that we? the Rangers fan base are being held to a different standard than other fan bases or other demographics across Scotland? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any doubt about that, but that might not necessarily be um, something to criticise those that are holding us to that standard. That might not necessarily be a bad... For me, for, for many a year, um, it was it was part of the privilege of supporting um, Rangers. You know, um, I, I see... <laughs> It means everything to me. I love supporting Rangers, uh, and for me, it was like, yeah, if, you, if you're going to win all the trophies, you know, if you're going to be the most powerful c- club in the country, well, then yeah, um, that's 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 something that comes with it. You will be, um, you know, as happens throughout the world, the, the the big the bigger clubs, the clubs that are winning most things are kind of generally despised by other fans, you know. And I think we, we can never underestimate how much of a part that plays in all this. It's actually football stuff. Football related, like you're like like you're saying, um, but I think when it got to the point where the the kind of pylons on Rangers led to us, well, sorry, I'm not for one second saying that liquidation wasn't the fault of the Rangers directors, but it was certainly made us a, a less attractive um, asset to a lot of potential buyers. Um, when from about 2009 onwards, radio, phone in programs, and what have you, but. You know, there was a mass of people telling us what was going wrong with our tax. Um, it's it, it, it's been taken to a whole new level, and I think we, I've always been keen for us to take responsibility uh, for that, and that we had a, a sectarian signing policy. Um, we sang sectarian songs. Um, they they do come out every now and then, uh, still to a lesser extent, but we seem to be getting zero credit for. You know when they don't happen, and I, I understand that. I understand that it should be something that just never happens. Um, but I think living in the real world, you have to, you know, you have to be an honest broker uh, when it comes to dealing with something as disgusting as sectarianism. And I am sick to the back teeth um, of having to preface every conversation I have with a stranger about football who I support, and I see that look in their face, having to say. Having to tell people both my grandfathers are Catholic or were Catholic. You know, my mother's Catholic. You know, I was never baptized. My sister and I were never baptized or christened, whatever it is, in, in, in either faith. You know, I'm not I'm not a Protestant. You know, um, I love Rangers. Uh, and the reason I love Rangers is because my Kilmarnock supporting Church of Scotland dad, um, who's well, it was in the Church of Scotland because his Catholic Kilmarnock supporting father. Um, had no time for any kind of religion and just let his son and his kids do what they wanted. You know, just uh, carry on. He 
knows that in Scotland everybody's got he knows that his son's going to be obsessed with football you know Hamden has got every European crowd record you can think of except league attendance that's uh, Benfica against Porto 1987 but it's got every kind of European crowd record that attends you can th- think of a nation of five million we are football obsessed and it's also got every kind of cancer obesity um, you know alcoholism drug abuse uh, unwanted records that you can think of in Western Europe you know like stabbings and things like that the, 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 Scotland's a, a hor- horrible country at times a hard place to live in and football is sometimes the thing that kind of saves us. And I think uh, in the second you the second you want, if, if your life's kind of, is kind of hard like it is for a lot of football fans, a lot of Rangers and a lot of Celtic fans, um, you just want a win. You want a bit of a result in your life, you know, and then you get accused of glory hunting. So the thing to fall back on is, well, I've always been a Protestant, so therefore I'm actually really always been a Rangers fan. I've always been a Cat, I'm, I'm, I'm Catholic, so therefore I've always really had the right to support Celtic. It's not just jumped in the bandwagon of a football team. And that's that's how the language of football in this country for two the two biggest fan bases by far in this country. It's always been about that. Encouraged to be so by the tabloid press. You know, back in the a hundred years ago, who's going to rise up to these, you know, the Hibernians, the Celtic, who's, who's going to come forward and represent Scotland, you know, Church of Scotland or whatever. That's what Rangers kind of came from, and then the, the guys coming from the Northern Ireland to the shipyards in the twenties and what have you. Um <sighs> I really, I'm sick of having to, and people sort of be sick of listening to me switching off in their drawers right now, but I'm having to preface everything. I'm getting absolutely paranoid. I'm having to explain all the time that I fully understand how sickening it is. The most, some of the most precious people in my life are Roman Catholic. Um, and people, there's people that I just cannot bloody stand um, who are Protestant. It's got nothing to do with it. It's the people themselves. And uh, we've all been brought up in the, the football we get caught up in this kind of language. And I think the times, that are, the occasions on which we are brought to account for this, the timing is just, it's becoming more and more obvious that it's that, it, that it's slightly nefarious. And I think the last people on earth who want sectarianism solved in Scotland, and I see no appetite to have it solved. I only see a, a hysteria to have it pointed out. There's, an almost, there's almost a celebration. There's no horror, disappointment or heartbreak in so many of the people citing incidents of sectarianism, despicable as they are. There's a kind of, in the last week especially, there's been almost a kind of celebration, a kind of rabidness, a kind of an enjoyment that it still goes on, a willingness to get rid of all the good work Rangers have done and I wonder almost as if they're unhappy that Rangers have actually made strides. And that's what I find worrying. Um, but I I can't, I, I can't, I'm basically agreeing with you, Ross, and I don't want to agree with you. I don't want it to be true. But I think... <laughs> This the, the whole incident. This everything that's been happening this week is basically coming down to people wanting exclusive media rights to Rangers. They've used a, a Rangers. They've used sectarianism as a tool, which is a horrible thing. That is sectarian. That's that's beyond sectarianism in itself. To use it as a weapon for other means. And um, I'm just going to say, the boys at Heart and Hand, I think, have been used as well in a war, in a, in a, a war for maybe print media to try and to try and to try and claw back. Um, some of the cover, some of the, the kind of access it's been losing uh, to to digital media, and I think that's a, a horrendous thing because because sectarianism is a cancer, bigotry of any form is cancerous, 
And um, but you need to be an honest broker when you're when you're trying to sort it out. I'm sorry if that's a I'm sorry if that's a, an absolute rant and incoherent, but it's because it's been that kind of week. I just my my head's actually mince with it. Yeah, it's it it is a huge amount for us to kind of process, and especially when, as you say, the Rangers is something that we all hold incredibly dear to us. You know, the, the amount of money and time and emotion that we invest into into supporting the club is it's astronomical, and and to see. The club being attacked, fan base being attacked, fans like us, content creators like us being being attacked and used as because our team won and the other team didn't, and that's how that's that's to a large degree how I see it. And I think so. To give some context to anyone who's who's kind of not aware of what's happened this week is we had the usual Rangers win, and therefore there's reports of sectarian singing, and that's to distract away from from the result. Um, we then have in the last few days. Um, a tabloid newspaper in Scotland running a big story about uh, creators over at Heart and Hand, uh, Rangers podcast, um, and historic tweets that were, um, in some instances, containing unsavoury, offensive, inappropriate, and in some cases, allegedly sectarian language, um, which has led to to those creators stepping back from the podcast and um, uh, that's that's kind of where, where we've got to now. Um, the issue that I have with this, and the, the reason I, that, I, that I question is are Rangers held to a different standard, is the way that it feels to me is that um, Rangers are not the only club that has... And, and by the way, I should preface this by saying no one, certainly no one on this show, and I don't think I've seen anyone, trying to defend any of the language that's been used. If people are, are singing sectarian songs, writing sectarian messages... No one is defending that and saying that that's acceptable behaviour. I think that where the outrage comes and the disappointment comes from our side is everyone else is, is held to a different standard and, and you know we are the people, we are the fans who are having their kind of histories looked over to see did we ever tweet a, a, a naughty word. And it's, it's videos of fan groups singing songs glorifying the IRA or using sectarian language against those of a Protestant faith that doesn't get picked up in that way. Stuart, that brings me on to the question of whataboutery, which is a word that... Um, I use a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a word that seems to be used as a kind of shut down the argument, right? So if um, if a Rangers fan or a... Yeah, let's say a Rangers fan is accused of singing something sectarian or tweeting something sectarian, you could then say, but here's an example of countless other fans of other football clubs of um, or of, of different backgrounds doing something similar, doing something comparable, doing something worse. Where was the outrage for that? The word whataboutery is put in and, and the argument shut down. What's your, your take on that? I have used that word several times myself, maybe even several dozen, several hundred times, um, because I have never, I've never really advocated that if somebody has done something wrong, then it's made right by somebody else doing something wrong. Um, and I think, unfortunately, that's what we've seen in Scotland over a, over a period of time. The, there has been a, a bit of, how can I put it very succinctly, um, a bit of mischief-making, let's say, where there are certain... And, I, and, I, and I, I'll, I'll skip the newspaper side of it, momentarily, I will go to the political aspect of it. There have been certain 
individuals who have picked sides and only see one side. Now, at times, yes, they might hear things being sung, they might see things being said. However, the following week, do they really tune into Sky Sports and think that some of the songs that are coming from the terracings are American country and western hits from the 1930s or 1940s? No, I think you'd need to be naive in the extreme to believe that. Yet, forget the what about any part of it. That argument, if you point that out, is just shut down. They don't even offer up an argument to that. And I think that that side of it is particularly worrying if you are supposed to live in a country where you're allowed to have a voice or at least point out to people who are in authority or who are in power about what's going on. It seems to me that that doesn't happen. Uh, and, you know, going back to what's happening with um, newspapers, it's always been in, it's always been very easy, I would say, to... Um, do very little digging to come up with an example of uh, songs being sung uh, at, at a, a number of football grounds. The coverage that's given sometimes varies and is sometimes different, but I don't think you need to dig very far. However, having worked in newspapers for a great many years, the one thing that I was always asked if I ever presented a story about anything was and how will this affect you or how will this affect the guys on your desk or how will this affect us as an entity, as a newspaper and I think that has been forgotten about this week I think some people might have just gone for the jugular and decided this is a really good story you know I don't want to be all biblical um, and say um, you know he is without sin, cast the first stone. But the fact of the matter is that that, that was almost <laughs> that almost should have been your your guidance on this one. Because I think, as I said earlier, you don't need to dig very far to find examples that uh, will cause outrage and will have people making headlines for what has been said. But I think this week what we've seen is when it's come to uh, digging that there are certain elements of, especially within the Rangers support, who would have made uh, very good uh, miners in the, you know, in the American coal fields in the 1800s because they have dug and dug deep and come up with things that people don't really want to see. And, you know, again... And, I, and, I, and I've said this before about, you know, having worked in the newspaper industry, you might get an apology on page eight. I doubt very much if any such apology would ever come on the front page of a newspaper, despite, you know, many calls for that kind of thing over the years. So people can be hung out to dry with a story uh, and, you know, uh, and, and, any apology that's made is then knocked into about three or four paragraphs inside. I think most people, however, can make up their own mind about how they might view things uh, in the future. And, you know, I, I, again, just like you can, my television is, has got an, an on and off switch. I can decide 
where and when I might spend money on purchasing a newspaper, if I do purchase a newspaper, or whether I I wait on various press releases and see what they say before I make any judgment call. So I think it's well within the parameters and well within the capabilities of individuals to decide where they go looking for their news now. And it wouldn't surprise me if some are looking elsewhere after this week. No, I think I think you're absolutely right. And if, um, as Alec mentioned, uh, you know, a few moments ago, if this was a, a kind of play to try and scrape back some followers of, of fan media, of new media, take it back to kind of traditional broadcasting and, and newspaper media, then it doesn't seem to have been overly well thought out. Um, I think that so as, as as Stuart references there, what's happened as a reaction to this heart and hand stuff. Um, is that Rangers fans have very much reacted and rallied to dig through the communications history, personal communications history of um, journalists, of politicians who are really piling into this issue um, and being being very, very critical of, of those individuals and of the Rangers support in general um, and found stuff that, that, that employers would not want to see and that... Um, you know, you, you really shouldn't be kind of going after people for historic tweets without checking your own historic tweets in the, in the first place. And I think that people, uh, both in the media and in the political class that are out to demonise the Rangers support, are deliberately mistaking that Rangers fan reaction uh, to be a kind of an, an implicit acceptance or support for the actual arguably offensive language that was used. That is absolutely not the case. Rangers fans are not reacting in this way, in a way of saying, well, I think we should be allowed to use that language. And I think that singing these songs is okay. It's to say, you are not treating us fairly. You are not treating us equally. And so I asked the question a moment ago about what aboutery, and and, and that word really pisses me off because it is just used to shut down a, a legitimate debate in this context. Um, there would be no need for what aboutery, what about this, what about that, if there was parity, if there was equality in the way that, that, that fan bases and sections of society were, were treated. And that's that's the frustration that I have. And I think that that um, is a deliberate misunderstanding from people who want to criticise and say, look at these Rangers fans, they're now having a go at the journalist who wrote the story because they think it's okay to be using sectarian language. Absolutely not the case. We want the equality and parity in the way that different sections of footballing society are treated. Alec, it's been, a, as I say, a really quite tense week, I think, to be a Rangers fan. And, and, and there's been a lot of really critical things said about us in the media yet again. Um, where do we go from here? Because it seems to be getting worse and worse. You, you, you go online to social media and it is just a load of people shouting at each other. What about this? What about that? You said this, you said that. Um, and it's incredibly toxic. Surely it can't continue. So, so what can be done about it? Um, I, I, I think it drive it'll, it will drive a lot of people just to give up on football. Um, I've, I've I've been through this before. Um, back in 2010-11, when let's not forget, and as you're saying, Ross, we're not for a second trying to shy away from from, from how horrible it is to. You know, to treat someone, you know, with sectarian language, racist language. I mean, what we went through with Glenn Kamara, you know, it's. Uh, so I'm actually, I'm actually stumped because there's so much to say. It's like it's like a logjam in my in my fat head right now. But it's 
what about today for me is usually aimed at you when you're trying to, when you're looking for context, when you're actually trying to apply a context and a bit of, you know, look, let's see why this has happened. Let's see how bad it is. You know, like, like there's no, we, we shouldn't be getting praised for like half the iBooks crowd last week, at least applauding the players taking the knee. Christ, we're, we're applauding Celtic players give, when they did give us the ball back for a throw-in earlier than, you know, in the actual incident right in, at the end of the injury time. Um, there shouldn't be that. That's just things you should do. You know, you shouldn't get praise for them. But it's a kind of why you not going about that as well. Why you not seeing that there's progress there? You know, um, I I remember as far back as 2010-11, as I say, I think it was when we, we played Celtic twice in the Scottish Cup. They drew to each at Ibrox, Scott Browns, and El Hajjuf's face. Um, you know, and then we have the game at Parkhead. Neil Lennon's been sent bombs and bullets. That's something we can never forget. You know. Um, and the idea that every Rangers fan was capable of doing that, I would think to do that, it's, it's crazed, you know, obviously not. Um, but I, a friend of mine at the time was telling me that's it. My wife's asking me what is all this stuff. I mean, it was Alex Salmond was having a, a summit meeting live on Sky Sports, you know, from Butte House, um, about the state, you know, the state of the nation because two guys get sent off in an old firm game. Some of the coaching staff had a bit of a you know, handbags, 60,000 people at Parkhead had stood them and, oh, what's happening? All right. And all went home, you know, but the next day that was, it's the classic, you know, political football, pun intended. It really is. And I know maybe that's, that's what Stuart's alluding to uh, as well, partly. Um, but I know the people who, like their wife said to them, what's this all about? And it's, I can't actually justify this anymore. I can't explain why me loving Rangers leads to bombs and bullets going to a guy, you know, for a, for a house in Sulkets. Just round the corner from my Catholic maternal grandmother's, by the way, that was that bomb was sent. So it's it's all that device, viable device. Um, people will end up just giving up on the game, you know, uh, because it's just such a toxic atmosphere. And seeing it, I think social media is as much social media as a toilet. As I said, uh, that you know, there's been a lot of talk about cesspits recently. That's a cesspit in general, social media. Um, and I'm as, I'm as big a, a culprit as anybody else of just going to it straight away because we want more content. Um, I think in terms of I think in terms of fan media, I don't see why I grew up. You know, Rangers won the cup final every year. You know that we won the cup final eight years in a row when I first started remembering football seventies into eighties, and it was the daily record. I got the the, the centre page spread on cup final day. It was team picture of Rangers and you know Celtic Aberdeen whoever they were playing. So you cut one out and you put the Rangers one up on the wall. There's, a, there's an affection there for the other. It's part of your life, you know, and it deals in the salacious and it deals in this kind of thing. But I don't see why fan media is such a threat to them. Ben, because don't get me wrong, that was the whole tenor of the piece on the Heart and Hand Boys. They were constantly hammering home the message. These are the guys that are getting media access at Rangers. These are supposed to be providing you with unbiased. But they're called fan media. It says it on the tin. They're not for one second pretending to be anything other than Rangers fans, which is actually more honest than a lot of the stuff you're getting from the tabs or other newspapers, which which is basically football. It's a soap opera. It's a bit of theatre. They're quite right to wind us up and get us going to a certain extent, you know, and put a bit of angle and stuff. But I, I think there's a, they should learn to work together. There should be a place, please, you know, for for both uh, forms of media and uh, um, football. Anything that can that can get the game publicised and keep us because make no mistake about it, it does affect attendances, how it's covered and who covers it. Um, but I I feel 
I would not for one second want anybody to think I was I was trying to trying to dampen down, try to ameliorate the um, the toxicity of sectarian behaviour of any kind of bigotry. Um, and the boys last week, but I think what happens is you get a situation where it's been raised in Parliament um, and they've been cited as black shirts, you know, because of the young, the ultras, it was an Italian movement, you know, it's Italian fashion, they wear black. You know, I'm not saying that the, 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 the Celtic, what are they called, the, the Green Brigade, they're all wearing their little 1970s bogside IRA-style jerkins. You know, I don't think for a second that any of these boys are going to end up being snipers or what have you, try to take out, you know, so it's just... Some have got the, the more the more hard the more the, the more we kind of split the support and we don't give anybody any room to breathe and this kind of stuff. The worse the problem will get, you know, because people just get polarised and they just go to extremes. Social media doesn't help with that. Um, but I think we've just got to kind of screw the nut generally. Rangers have got to keep doing what they're doing. Uh, Rangers are banning the people. They're, they're taking the police information, you know, they're banning the boys that are singing those songs. To me, they are boys. Sorry, that's a terrible thing to say. I was, you know, um, I'm not condoning it it's because of their age, but we know in the real world, this is what happens. You behave stupidly, but it's outside the ground. There's nothing Rangers can really do about it. They've found out who they are. They've banned them. Um, the same as they've banned the boys in the bus Fisco Bride that were singing the, you know, the, the, the racist stuff about the, the Japanese forward, uh, Celtic. I just, I don't know. I just, I just feel as if the whole thing has is, is got to calm down and everybody's got to keep doing keep doing the good work. And I'm sorry about being so incoherent and ranty, but it's just, it's made me really emotional uh, this week. For the reasons you were saying, Ross, it's just, we had a great win. And then I'm not trying, I'm not trying to say for a second that it's been spoiled by the media folks. This it's on us. Ranger supporters did this, but we've got a, you know, there's, there's got to be a bit of balance, you know, I think, and in, in, in how it's reported, you know, because we had great, and we can't be, too hard on ourselves because we had a video that was doctored last season that was taken seriously by leading politicians in this country um, of allegedly black Rangers players singing anti-Catholic lyrics while they were celebrating winning the league trophy. And that that was never properly apologised for, the fact that that was so much... And the, 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 the thirst to somehow make that kind of take back what had happened to Glenn Kamara. Like people didn't, I was, it, it, somehow that meant Glenn Kamara hadn't been racially abused as if we wanted Glenn Kamara to be racially abused at all. You know, as if we didn't deserve the sympathy. I, I, it's, it, it's just, it's, it's got out of control. And uh, I don't know how, but it, it, it has it has got to stop. I'm not going to cut across you, Alex, but just to... Just please, to, sure, please. Just what just you said there, you, you brought it back to a point I made earlier was that there is so much of this is political and politically driven and politically driven by certain individuals. Nobody's going to condone the Rangers fans um, if they were singing certain songs. Rangers can only do so much. Rangers can only basically punish those that are caught. Rangers can only support the police and the authorities and whatever they're trying to do. But when you have certain politicians who are able to say whatever they so wish without censure and without even issuing an apology afterwards, then where do you actually start? That, you know, the the word whataboutery was used earlier on. You cannot start having, you know, whataboutery when it comes to political leaders or people in political influence actually making these accusations, but only doing it 
through one eye and only doing it if it affects or affects one side of the argument. That is for me is particularly worrying in, in all of this. And I think, you know, until such times as somebody somewhere calls some of these politicians to order and basically said, you cannot be doing these kind of things, then I, I honestly feel this is something that's going to continue for a while. Because what you then have are media outlets and I, you know, looking at it and saying, well, if the politicians are saying this, and they're getting away with it, we'll get away with it as well. The difference is nowadays in terms of in terms of journalism and newspapers, whereas before a newspaper might be selling six hundred thousand copies, they might only be down to hundred and fifty thousand copies these days and trying desperately to stay relevant. They don't have the access that they once did. Other people online are actually saying things that are, you know people can actually join in with. If a newspaper wronged you years ago, you either sued them for libel or in Scotland for defamation. Very few people actually did that because of the resource you had to have to take somebody to court. Now, you don't need anything like that. If you want to hold somebody to account within the media for something they've said, you just take the social media, you know, pull the pin, start the pile on, and off you go. And at some point in time, somebody is, you know, somebody has to call a halt to this and say, is this really what we're about, either in terms of the media, or is this really what we're about in terms of the narrative that we're actually trying to create for ourselves? It, it needs to be it needs to be quite cleverly thought out, this one. And, and I don't think anybody, when they're running around with their head on fire, has actually been very clever in this. Well, it's, it's, it's remarkably sinister, isn't it, Stuart, the way that um, that politicians get involved in this um, this pile. There's no other word for it in my mind than, than a pile on. And I wonder if it's something to do with the special interplay between football politics and media in Scotland. You know, I, I alluded earlier to the fact that look, everyone in Scotland of a certain generation grew up a passionate football fan and probably supported one of two clubs. Um, and it's it's so tribal and it's so ingrained in people that that's seems to, to, to rise above everything else. And, and, and therefore, when you have, um, and I say that, that interlink between football, politics and, um, and media, because it's very obvious to see which politicians supports which football club. I mean, half of them have got social media pictures of them wearing the shirt of the club that they support. But when you have, for example, the, the, the events of, of last weekend or earlier this week, and the politician that you go to is the health secretary to comment on the sectarianism incidents. That doesn't make sense unless there's another agenda played there. And then you see, well, actually, the, the health secretary has social media photographs of him wearing his Celtic strip. Well, now it makes sense that that's the person that you would go to to ask that question. Um, it, is, it is remarkably sinister. Stuart, the last question I wanted to, to ask on this is, Rangers, as I say, or as, as Alec mentions, has, have banned individuals as a result of alleged sectarian activity last weekend. Um, and there has been some criticism that Rangers have maybe acted overly hastily there, innocent until proven guilty and, and whatnot. Would you agree with the actions that Rangers are taking or do you think that they're maybe jumping the gun to try and, I don't know, please certain people or, or, or keep things as smooth as possible? I'd say that was an interesting one, Ross, or an interesting um, take on it. 
if if Rangers almost are falling into the trap of actually appeasing the being crowd by taking these decisions before anybody's been, you know, even even taken to court. However, what I would say is I don't think Police Scotland ever enter into making arrests for these kind of things lightly because they they know themselves um, and and knowing certain police officers, uh, myself, who are involved in this kind of thing, they know that this is basically something that can blow up in their face. They know that how how dangerous anything like this is simply because they suddenly come under the kind of scrutiny that others might have come under this week. And they, they can't afford to be they can't afford to be doing that when they've got real police work to do. So equally, Rangers could ask these anybody who's been arrested, are you guilty of this? And they can say one of two things. They can either say, no I'm not and then you know you wait and say until the court case, or they can say, "Yeah, I'll come clean." If they come clean, you know, Rangers Rangers have every entitlement to ban them. But the whole this whole thing about uh, lifetime bans as well. I mean, Rangers Rangers will always word it and couch it in terms that means that all they're doing is kicking the can down the road as to whether they let these people back into the ground or whether they actually allow them to, you know, to support Rangers or see Rangers games again. Nobody's going to argue with that simply because these people have been seen to have done something that's wrong, to seen something that's actually not Rangers back in the, the water for what they're trying to achieve in terms of cleaning up the, 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 the club's image and the, the, or even the perceived image of the club. And and that side of it is is something that you know. Whilst you would you would like to think that people are going to be given the chance to defend themselves, I think probably and it's like it's like filling a drug test in athletics and then testing the B sample. The B sample is exact same as the A sample, um, and you you will be if you if you're guilty on the A sample, nothing changes because it's the same. It's basically the same test. And I think that's happened. That's happening with, with, with the Rangers fans who have been found guilty. Again, I will say, and, I, and I'll, I'll say it until um, you know, I'm probably purple in the face. There is only so much Rangers can do. There are authorities out there, namely Police Scotland, who can do a hell of a lot more. But there is only so much that Rangers can do in terms of the actions that certain individuals try to take. I mean, how many times have you seen people that have been found guilty of singing songs on a Saturday and it's come back to Rangers when these people have never have never been to a Rangers game? You know, we saw it years ago when somebody decided, um, I'm trying to think it was a game, was it Bitter Jerusalem or one, um, in one of the UEFA Cup ties? Um, it's coming out and deciding they're going to handcuff themselves to a post and Rangers are fined €13,000 for somebody who's a complete nut job running the length of the pitch and handcuffing himself, that is something you cannot legislate for. Unless he's wearing, wearing a t-shirt of the Pope, Stuart. Correct, correct. I, I, you know, I, that is something, Alex, that you cannot legislate for. So there has to be a there has to be a, a bit of common sense in all of this. But, but again, going back to the point, um, you know, without labouring it too much on what Ross asked. I think that Rangers have to be seen to be doing the right thing. I have to say up until now, they have done the right thing. 
Yeah, I think that's a that's a very good a very good take on it. I just saw as you as you mentioned Beitar Jerusalem there. I saw Alex Space desperate to correct you and say it was yeah. Maccabi Haifa. It was Maccabi uh, Haifa. <laughs> I, I, I could I could now say for for all of our Israeli listeners, I apologize. I apologize most profusely. <laughs> I'm I'm really sorry. Um, no, it, it, as, as a deranged sectarian Rangers fan, I was the only one to get in the bit about the guy was wearing a t-shirt with the Pope's face <laughs> on it. That's the bit, that's the only bit I remember because I exploded with sectarian Wait, hatred. Was that time. was that one of your relations that texted you there? <laughs> you get a mention that's my cousin post. Joe. <laughs> <laughs> right, gents. Um, before we move on, uh, please allow me just to mention very quickly one of our partners that we have here at Jazznet who are supporting the show this evening, which is our good friends over at FootballPrizes.co.uk, uh, who are an excellent prize draws for very, very special football memorabilia. At the moment, they are offering a one-of-a-kind Rangers Champions squad signed and framed photo montage, which has been signed by 19 different members of, uh, of last season's squad. As always, a maximum of 99 tickets are available in the competition with a guaranteed live draw that's coming up on Wednesday, the 8th of September at 8.30pm. Tickets are £4.95. Roughly half of those tickets are still remaining, so please do head over to the website at footballprizes.co.uk or check out the Jazznet social media pages for the direct link. Gents, moving on to on-field action, um, and whilst we haven't had any Rangers games to talk about this week, um, it's a good time now that this first sort of little block of games is done to, to look back and see where we are. Um, obviously, Europe, I think, has, has probably been a wee bit of a disappointment not, not qualifying for the Champions League. Um, but when we look at the, the, the Premiership itself, Alec, not maximum points, but still in a relatively strong position with a very, very important old-term victory last Sunday, would you say that... The, uh, purely domestically speaking, the the opening chunk of this season has been a success. Yeah, yeah, I th- <laughs> it, rem- it, it, it remains to be seen. Um, I like to think right now we're just doing that thing of we're champions, and it's different. Um, we're kind of. I look at the league table, um, which I had, we didn't really pay much attention uh, until last week. Perhaps I was told that Hearts and Hibs were both undefeated. You know, and nobody cares. Um, we are sitting on the back wheel like uh, you know a great ride on the Tour de France. We're sitting on the back wheel, this little peloton, just ready to to, to move into move into first place. Um, Europe, yep, yeah, massive. It's, I think it's a massive disappointment, obviously, that we didn't get into the the Champions League. But I kind of feel we needed the money. You know, we 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 needed the Champions League money. Um, but I think Stephen Gerrard said himself, maybe we didn't need the the leatherings that we might have got. You know, um, if if we'd if if we got into a you know like a serious group and you see how we struggled against Malmo, um, a Malmo team who are you know much more into their season than us, um, I feel we could we might be plateauing. The the worry about not getting into the Champions League is I think this is a team um, kind of heavily fueled by just ambition by going up the way, and I don't think they'll actually enjoy. I th- the way we won the league eventually won the league after three seasons with Steve Gerrard, Stephen Gerrard to do it unbeaten. And the way we did it was like a kind of everything's coming to our heads. They've been aiming for this and finally it's happening. Um, you can see the continual improvement every season. And I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. I don't know. I'll not, I won't, we won't know until the end of the season how to look at the, the way this season started. Um, it's either a kind of plateauing and we're going to the Europa League and the players won't have the ambition having been there before so recently and, and given it so much and, and, and going through their group stage unbeaten, finishing top of the group they might feel a little bit being here, seeing this, done this, you know, three seasons in the bounce in these group stages. I really wanted to be in the Champions League. Um, it might kind of affect their performance. 
or it's a case of yeah, this is actually where we should be. We're built for this, you know. We've got, we've got loads of experience. We know how to negotiate this, and we go on maybe an extra round or two um, this year. I'm not. I'm really not sure how it's going to how it's going to pan out. But Ali, I would like to think that right now, what we've done is. The past three seasons, it's been we have got to catch up. We've got to catch up. We're a team who's got to catch up. And the way we've started each season has been really impressive. You know, by the standards of the previous season, we can see that the team is improving. They still have the thirst and the hunger. This season, it's been a bit kind of stop start. Um, but I like to think that's like oh, Walter Smith, you know, the kind of the kind of middle uh, 94, 95, 96 season, the kind of middle of the or nine in a row where we could just get into our groove nice and slowly. And I think we hit the floor running. Last weekend, there was a picture of the Rangers, the Rangers players when they're coming off the park. I think it was a sports scene that actually caught the highlights uh, by the time I actually get back last Sunday. They were just coming off the park and um, I think Aribo and Kamara were having a bit of a laugh. But the way the camera was just in the halfway line, the boys have done a little bit of a lap of honour. How good was that, by the way, just to actually celebrate with the players again? Uh, and they're coming towards the, 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 the tunnel and they're not even smiling. They just have a look on their face of we know how to do this shit. We know it's going to be tough, but we're comfortable doing it. We're not going to get ahead of ourselves. We're not going to, you know, over-celebrate this. We're ready to go again. And they just did a look of a seasoned squad. Even though we didn't have our first our first team available, they just looked, I was so impressed. I got a real feeling of, yeah, we're in the groove here. It's like we're, going to, we're starting slower because we're going to go further. So I'm, we'd like to win the Champions League. But I feel a bit about the Champions League. I did a bit of the Scottish Cup last season. I didn't want the Scottish Cup played at all last season. I didn't because it was a, it was a risk that would give us a disappointment, perhaps on the final day of the season. We needed in our history to just enjoy that league title. Luckily, we went out of the Scottish Cup nice and early, so we got to finish. We got to finish this, the, the season uh, on our league high. Um, but if you're going to be in it, you want to win it. Uh, and we were in the Champions League, and we, and we didn't. We didn't get into the group stage, and it's disappointing. But I think it might work out for the best in the long run. Can I just say something on that, Alex? So you, you, you're saying there about the, the European campaign and how the guys want to be playing in the, the Champions League. I think I think that that would be their preferred choice. Personally, I think the years, the the European matches this season, will almost be used to guarantee your place in the league side. You will have to perform at a certain level, and you know, and and doing quite a, a, a bit of work, um, you know, for um, you might describe English playmasters. Um, you, you're suddenly acutely aware of where Stephen Gerrard is held. His his stock has risen um, amongst a great many south of the border because of the way that Rangers won the title last season unbeaten. However, there are I would say probably more people impressed with how Rangers have actually performed on a European stage, which is not canted by how big other teams are or how small other teams are or what your you know your budgets are and all the rest of it. A bit like what Scotland, you know, it is in Scotland. You know that after the old firm, everybody else only has a fraction to spend on, on playing squads, you know that they're therefore not going to be as good. You know, therefore, that Rangers will probably start favourites against most teams. I think on the European stage, however, you've got some wily coaches, some really good players who themselves, I'm talking about opposition here, who themselves are playing for big moves elsewhere in, in, in Europe and in Europe within European football. And I think that's a for me, that has that's been a, a better gauge. 
as to where Rangers have been in the last couple of seasons. I think if you look at what Rangers did last season going in and beating in the league, there was a lot of those performances that Rangers managed to you know, pick up three points that where they, they might have been lucky uh, on other occasions to get away with a draw. I think they called upon their European experience for that because they knew how to win big matches and important matches and what it took to get them, to get them over the line. So I, I, personally, I think competition-wise, I think Rangers will be probably going as much for broke uh, in terms of the Europa League as they as they would have been with the Champions League. Good. Uh, that's, uh, that sounds good to me, Stuart. I think... I think what we have, what happened was against Malmo, we come up against a kind of European stand, uh, a Champions League standard low block, if you like, like a European Livingston, almost. And it's that that next learning curve. You no, know, when we were, you know, Stevie G lost that game at, at Livingston. I may have, a, I may have a nightmare. I may have a nightmare at the prospect of travelling to Europe in the future and finding a place like Livingston. <laughs> If you go, surely you go. If you go to Rome, Tony Macaroni will be. It'll be a genuine Tony, actual Tony Macaroni. Genuine pasta. <laughs> I know. I think. I think. Yeah. I hope. I hope you're right, John. I think you're spot on there. I think. Um, hopefully, we're fully charged again. Um, I just and plateauing is no bad thing, and it's it's not necessarily a bad thing when you, the rate of improvement that we've been under Gerard. Let's just take a breath and kind of. Uh, stabilise and just one one more point on that you have to appreciate if, if Rangers have made a kind of not slow start or dodgy start you've got to realise and appreciate where they set the, the bar last 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 season do you know what I mean this is um, I know you like your sporting analogies this isn't somebody basically running up and, and doing a bit of a high hurdle to cross the bar this is your Dick Fosbury running up and you know, or Xavier Sotomayor, and almost out jumping the actual equipment because of what they did last season. It, it, it would be a, a, a really, really tough ask to pick up where you left off last season simply because Rangers did set the bar as high. Uh, we, don't have, we don't have to jump as high, but it doesn't mean it'll be a flop. <laughs> I, I like what you did there. Sorry, Stuart. Sorry. It's all right. <laughs> smashing I hope everyone's enjoying the Jazznet Athletics podcast um, I think this is actually the first show that we've had since the, the closure of the transfer window back on, on Tuesday of this week um, and, and Alec we, we probably spoke a lot over the last three months or so about players who might leave more so than players who might come in I mean one or two long persistent rumours throughout the window of, of, of signings but it was more about who will we hold on to and who will we have to sell? And often it was it was those words, have to sell, um, as opposed to just who will we sell. Were you surprised then to see the window close on Tuesday without the likes of um, Glenn Kamara, Alfredo Morelos, Tavernier, Goldson, Barisic, um, heading, out the other, heading out the door? I mean, we, we literally held on to, to every key member of the squad. You said to me after the, the Malmo game, yeah, I've been absolutely shocked and delighted. Um, but it, just, it became, I, I was really pleased, um, but it became kind of obvious. It was just, not, was nothing happening. There was no, and the transfer market in general, I think it, it's just, it's, it's COVID's obviously affected, you know, um, turnovers as we know, the, the attempts to set up a Super League and what have you amongst the bigger clubs. So there's, it was a really strange uh, transfer market and pretty dead, no matter what uh, 
the boys in Sky Sports News would and the girls would try to tell you. Um, it, it, it was even the, the Messi and Ronaldo transfers were pretty boring, you know, but we're not doing anything very exciting as far as I was concerned. Um, but it's it, it was it's great. I just I know and I understand that people were thinking we should have had a, a maybe a ready made um kind of first team, somebody who just come in and slot into the first team. But at Rangers level, our level of uh, spending, that's going to be difficult. That's difficult at the best of times. Even when, we, when Ryan Kent, we knew what we were getting with Ryan Kent, you know, because we had him on loan and then we fought out the money on him. And even then, there was a little spell we thought, is he actually going to be as good? You know, he, he was kind of struggling at first. You no, know, various reasons for it and that. Um, so it's never it's never a guarantee. It's just as it's not a guarantee that the likes of Lundstrom or Sakala, um, who haven't, you know, for various reasons, haven't had a chance to impress so far, won't turn into that. That, that that very player that we need that can slot into the first team, but no, I, mean, I was I thought as soon as we went out uh, to Malmo, I thought I think Barisic, Kamara, and Morelos. I think were probably three favourites. Um, everybody thought one, at least one of them was going to we going to have to go to make up the shortfall. But maybe that would have been if we dropped into the uh, conference, the Europa Conference League. That would that would maybe have happened. I think it's just meant probably that we haven't brought in as many players as we wanted to. We haven't bought maybe just one more kind of potential first teamer. But uh, yeah, I was absolutely delighted. Uh, I was delighted to have them all still on board. The sky's still, I mean, I think we've still got a few contracts to sort out, you know, and I, I'm still keen to know what kind of negotiations were going on um, in terms of, I think the Champions League qualification would have played a lot, they played a big part. But if they, get, if they haven't gone now, it's less chance that the likes of Goals and all that are going to go mid-season, um, and right now I'm just I'm, I'm delighted to have all those guys still on board. Well, but on that on that subject there, Alex, about who you were expecting to leave Rangers, my, my take on it always was that whilst you had the the the, the fees being paid for the likes of you know Lukaku and for Grealish and the likes, that was your blue chip high-end European clubs that were doing that, I don't think there was the same amount of money mid-sector, if you like. I think I, I, I think you had the people that were going, you know, Noel Edmonds um, introducing Swap Shop for the Scottish market, saying, I, I want a cent and a half, can I have that Skeletics? Um, you know, or, 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 you know, whatever it is, here's two goldfish in a balloon, can I have that striker who hasn't scored for the last 14 months? That kind of that that was where the Scottish trading was. I think if you look at the the high end, that was there's plenty, it was a wash with money, but they're on down. There wasn't the same money. And if you take that there was a, a a couple of transfers, the likes of Grealish, um, Lukaku. You know, one or two other big big signings within Europe as well, um, or within the, the the English market, the likes of uh, Ronaldo, for instance. Um, the the fact that that West Ham spent you know 30, 30 million on somebody, the actual transfer, the average transfer fee was down and down substantially, and I think that that is the fact that they were willing to spend big if the product was right. Nobody was actually speculating to accumulate, hence the reason why I think that Rangers actually kept some of the players who might have gone uh, uh, under different circumstances. Well, yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. When it comes then to to players being brought in, Stuart, 
I mean, we I think it's fair to say we didn't improve the first 11. And that was that was a lot of the narrative that we've had around this window is that we've maybe improved the squad with the likes of John Lundstrom and Janine Yobakuna coming in. But we've not improved the first 11. I saw a wonderful stat um, recently that said that Rangers this season have retained 96.73% yeah. of the minutes that were played last, last season, if that makes sense. Um, Celtic, conversely, have retained 48%, and that shows the scale of the rebuild and the different strategies in, in, in those two clubs. So with that stat in mind, did we need to improve the first 11 to go on and achieve the aim of, of winning the league again? You also you also ended up last week bizarrely with uh, Ranger uh, sorry Celtic taking the plaudits for how much they'd actually generated in the transfer market. Yeah. They'd actually guys wanting out the door and wanting to leave the club. You know, I, I didn't know there was a prize from anyone for how much you actually brought in, you know, or how much you stuck in your cash register. Um the the thing with the, the transfer window is I think you have to look at it as well that Rangers Rangers kind of staggered their their uh their business. I would I still think that the most influential signing that, that Rangers have made was um was Scott Wright. I think he's a kind of guy who in terms of cutting edge and his creativity, I think he's a kind of guy that 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 could could be seen over the, this this season in particular as a player who might even match the influence of Ryan Kent. I think he, I, I think he has that kind of presence about him. Um, I, I I think he's a great foil for Kent. If you manage to play a system where you can get the two of them in the team, even better. I think just now. It's like we play, um, you know, in Stephen Jenner's mind, we play one or we play the other. I think at some point in time that that Rangers might actually line up slightly, slightly differently to accommodate the players that they do have who are making a difference in the team, and that that could mean that you've got uh, you know two holding midfielders that you know are going to be replaceable because of who you've got sitting in the bench because everybody's on a par with each other and they're interchangeable. And forward of that, you're looking for more of a cutting edge, not just coming from one flank or whether whether Kent comes through the middle or, or goes left or goes right, but you've actually got a threat on both sides. That might, you know, I, I, Rangers have been fortunate with the guys that they have playing um, in the fullback roles. Um, in terms of Tavernier, in terms of Barisic, in terms of Bassi as well, who I have to say, for me, has has started the season uh, really well. But I think that side of it, you're looking for these guys to actually maybe maybe just hold back a wee bit and defend a bit better rather than causing a few sort of panic attacks, um, especially late on in games because they're charging forward and leave it for the attackers to actually attack and score the goals. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That that was actually going to be my next question, Alec. And, and as we tip over to the hour, I'll make sure this is my last question to you. But um, our our promising youngsters, the likes of Nathan Patterson, Calvin Bassey, who I agree with Stuart, I think has been has been superb start of this season and really exciting and enjoyable to watch. Uh, Stevie Kelly as well in in the centre of the park. They're going up in positions. Fullbacks, you can only have one of each side of fullbacks, um, and and one of them is our captain. The other is. 
um, arguably one of our most financially valuable assets, you know, starting left back of uh, a, a top five international football team. Um, Stevie Kelly going in centre midfield up against some of our best performers in, in Steve Davis or Glenn Kamara. Um, what's the strategy this season for trying to bring through some of that talent and, and stop it seeping out and going elsewhere? I think we actually saw the, I think we saw it in action last week. Uh, Ross, it, it's it's needs must. These guys will get their chance. You know, we, we do it so often. We think, oh, we've got too many players for one position. We'll be doing this, that you know, um, oh, we've got Patterson and Tavernier, like you say, it's a great headache to have. You know, and we've got you know McLaughlin and Alan McGregor. How are you going to keep both those guys happy? Well, none of the four of them are available last week. It just you know the reality of a season, especially when COVID's been added to it over the last year and a half. Um, suddenly you, you're going to need these boys. Um, I think the Stuart's alluding to the the, the rapid advance uh, of Scott Wright's Rangers career, maybe as well as the the, the financial. Uh, shortfall from not getting into Champions League is probably why we let uh, Big Eaton, Big Cedric go uh, out on loan to Greuther Firth. And I, I, you know, I was kind of disappointed with that. And I think Stephen Gerrard would be as well. He was always keen to talk the big guy up. You know, he's always, he just seemed that little yard short of match sharpness and he couldn't quite, and he, uh, an amazingly talented player. And I'm just a bit worried. I don't know if, he, I don't know if he's from the German speaking part of Switzerland, but I think. You know, if he if he starts hitting the net over there, um, well, we won't see him again. You know, I think he'll he'll he'll, he'll get snapped up. Um, but if it's Scott Wright coming through, and that's probably that's probably helped that decision. Um, and we're talking about who's coming in. Well, you forget that we actually had Patterson and Bassey coming through, and Bassey, I think, is just a, you know basically two three games this season. He's suddenly shown himself to be the, the player we're hoping he would be. Um, and Nathan Patterson, that's. I'm saying there was no noise uh, the last week. He, he was the, actually the guy attracting most noise. The last two or three seasons, we've been thinking it's going to be Kamara, Barisic, Morelos, but it was Nathan Patterson that was getting the you know, alleged um, Everton bids. I I think, you know, I don't, we certainly don't get time to get into the argument about B teams and what have you. Um, we need, there comes a point you need these players to play. The manager is looking at accommodating, he's uh, tried out accommodating James Tavernier. Uh, you know, further forward, I think that's going back. That's, a, that's an argument we've had for years. That, that that kind of player, a wing back, I think they need to start at the back and get the engine running and be in full flow. Um, I, I think they need the length of the pitch to to, to to get to get going. So I don't know if that's a, that doesn't really seem to be a starter for me, but um, it's going to be a headache because we want guys, especially like Stephen Kelly. He looked fantastic um, against Arsenal uh, that day, that preseason friendly. Could have won the game for us, um, but. You, you, you want to see them, especially at that age, you want to see them getting regular football coming on. Glenn Middleton, you wonder if we're ever going to get him back playing regularly for us as he, he got what it takes. I don't know. It is, it is a, even when you play B-team football every week, you're not playing to the level that you want in the first team. And I think the Nathan Patterson story, the trajectory, um, watching them last night, actually where I was sitting right in the front of the main stand uh, over towards the Rangers end, I thought he'd actually scored. I didn't see the, the touch. I thought it was actually him to put it in the net, so I was going nuts. Um, people just thought it was a really keen Scotland fan. Um, but it just, it was it was lovely for him. Um, and I think he's, I, I think he will, he's going to become first team. He's going to become first choice. I think maybe quicker than, quicker than we realise, only because of Tav's maybe you know, advancing years. I think he's, like, he's a smashing footballer, James Tavney. I love watching him going forward. He's a remarkably skillful player. I mean, missed him last week. The thing we do, he gets us to the byline and pulls the ball back like nobody else at Rangers. The goal last week comes from a corner, which is the, the classic way of pulling the ball back. 
Um, the by were just more facing up last week because we didn't have that kind of penetration that Tab gives us. We've also got Ryan Jack coming back as well, hopefully. You know, there's, 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 plenty of, there's plenty of good stories there. There's plenty of depth that could come in. But your question, Ross, as usual, I've rambled away from it. Um, come back, come back, Alex. Happy. Sorry, it's, I just keep thinking about you in that nurse's outfit, Stuart. That's, you know what I mean? It's, it's got me all over the place. Can I, can I just can I just can I just say uh, I think I think Stephen Gerrard in in terms of the pushing Tavernier forward I don't really think he's an advocate of that I think he's the kind of guy that he play, he's got two guys that can play that position he either plays one or he plays the other I don't think he's into experimenting or or dare I say it, doing a Walter Smith and deciding my 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 five or six best players are all centre backs therefore I'll try and squeeze them all into the team at the same time. The, the other two two I would uh, I would suggest um, one is Bakuna. I think I think Bakuna is the kind of guy who has a reputation of of people actually saying how did Rangers manage to sign that guy, and the point you said about having the two goalkeepers, it would not surprise me at all in the very near future if the best that McGregor or McLaughlin can do is be on the bench to McCrory. That'd do for me. <laughs> Old prediction. We'll see. Gents, um, I was worried before today's show that uh, we wouldn't have anything to talk about and we'd never get anywhere close to an hour. But um, we've not even done half of the questions that I'd written down. So that sort of just shows that the two of you, I can wind you up and let you get on with it. Um, a, a massive thank you then to, to both Alec and Stuart for, for joining us this evening and giving us their insight on what is admittedly a fairly tense, nervy, dangerous subject so I think we've hopefully handled that with, with some decorum a massive thanks as well to everyone who's joined us on the YouTube stream tonight and given us their, their, their thoughts and comments um, as always the show will be back next weekend uh, we will be looking at Rangers as they return to competitive action against Johnston next Saturday um, so please do join us for that it's the same time which is 9.30pm live on the Chestnut YouTube stream and of course the show will be available for download the following Monday in the meantime please head over to the website at www.jersnet.co.uk and have a look at all of the great content that we've got over there um, but until we meet again next week thank you so much for joining us this evening stay safe and uh, have a great week